Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Institute for Policy Innovation podcast. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. Today is January 26, 2023, and I'm joined today by IPI's resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews. And today, Dr. Matthews, we're going to talk about the national sales tax. Uh, so this is um, this is driven by the fact that sort of out of nowhere, a few days ago, this issue of the national sales tax uh, broke into the news cycle. And you started seeing on social media and you started seeing on some cable TV shows, the Republicans want to slap a 30% national sales tax on everything you buy. And aren't those Republicans terrible, horrible people? So we want to talk about the national sales tax. We want to talk about why it's come up now. And we want to talk about sort of strengths and weaknesses. And we also want to talk about uh, how the national sales tax would compare to other tax systems, including our existing one, as well as uh, the flat tax. So, Dr. Matthews, uh, why did this issue of the national sales tax, you know, you, you and I were familiar with this years ago. IPI did a lot of work on this issue years ago. Oh, we've, we've been talking about it for 30 years. Yeah, but it's but it's been dead and gone for years also. So it raises its head every now and then, but it has been it has been on the quiet side for a while. Yeah. So so why did it raise? Why has it raised its head now? How did that come about? Well, apparently, uh, Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House, agreed to allow a floor vote on the national sales tax as a um, uh, as a as a condition of getting the vote of, I think, is Representative Carter and um, for his willingness to support Kevin McCarthy. So they are apparently going to have at least the goal is to have a floor vote vote on the national sales tax and see if they can get any uh any momentum by guesses they won't. But as I said, we've been talking about this for 30 years. And remember back uh, back when Dick Armey was in Congress, I think he and Bill Archer, who was chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, did a sort of a road tour compared with uh, Dick Armey uh, supporting the flat tax, Archer supporting the national sales tax. And of course, we, you and I live in Texas where we have a state sales tax. We don't have a state income tax. So if, from my standpoint, if you could make a national sales tax actually work in an affordable way and you didn't have to fill out tax forms at the end of the year on that, I would love it. It's just I don't think that's even possible. Let's talk a little bit about the history of the national sales tax. There, there's, there has always been a very small number of Republicans who were enamored of this idea. Um, be, and what they're really enamored of is the idea that it would get rid of the Internal Revenue Service right. and, it, and it would replace the income tax. And the income tax is a highly problematic form of taxation. It requires uh, you to disclose a lot of information to the government. I mean, one of the worst things about an income tax system is is the privacy aspect. You 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 have to tell the government. How many children you have? You have to tell them your investments. You have to tell them your income. You have to disclose all of this information to make an income tax work. And so, if you're if you're kind of radical in the area of financial privacy, if you really hate the income tax, uh, then it's easy to become enamored of the national sales tax as a replacement for all of that. Um, there's also one other angle of it that appeals to some is is the fact 
the, the truth in tax policy that consumption taxes are one of the very best taxes. If you got to have taxes, consumption taxes are, are a pretty good tax because they don't require disclosures and an invasion of privacy. And to some degree or another, you can control how much taxes you pay because it's based on your consumption. If you consume less, you pay less taxes. If you consume more, you pay more. So there is a sense in which a, a, a sales tax, a consumption tax, has all the virtues of a flat income tax in that everyone pays the same rate. Uh, the high-income people would pay more because they consume more. Low-income people would pay less because they consume less. So there is, there's a lot to say from a policy standpoint and from a sort of a tax-principled standpoint in favor of replacing an income tax with a consumption tax, with a national sales tax. Uh, however, there's there's a lot of problems with that as well, because you would have to really pass a constitutional amendment doing away with the income tax if you were going to persuade people that we're actually we're actually replacing the income tax with a national sales tax, and you're never going to get hit with both. Uh, that's sort of, that's the commitment that the national sales tax proponents make that you're not going to get hit with both an income tax and a national sales tax. We're going to replace one with the other. But the only way to really guarantee that promise would be a constitutional amendment. And how often do we see that happen? And, you know, the thing about the national sales tax is that the top line about it, it just sounds really good. We're just going to have a national sales tax. It's when you get into the details of all the things that they want to do that makes it, in my mind, become so uh, so problematic. So uh, you start out with the national sales tax, fine. What's what's the sales tax rate going to be? Well, I, th- I think they're actually saying 23%, but because of some very as- various aspects of it, it's effectively a 30% sales tax. Well, that's a high figure. Uh, and then you have state sales taxes, where Texas is, uh, depending upon where you live, because local cities have some as well, could be 8 9%, something like that, on top of it. Now, if you're looking at something that is closer to a 40% tax on something, you're giving people real incentives to try to find ways to get around that and not have to pay, not have to buy things from a normal store. Plus, the other thing is, in order to get that, that rate that they come up with, they tax everything. Everything gets taxed. And of course, here in Texas, our sales tax, it excludes prescription drugs. It excludes most types of food. Um, Health care services and so forth are often excluded. So you're, you address the problem of what we call regressivity. That is that the sales tax, tax, if it's flat, it hits lower income people a whole lot more than it does higher income people. So they, um, the, the way Texas addresses that problem is that we uh, don't tax certain necessity uh, items and we tax a few things at a lower rate. And that allows us to address that problem. Uh, they don't do that. But just imagine, I mean, we're talking about if you're going to the grocery store and you're having to pay 30%, another 8 or 9% for sale for the state sales tax. If you go and buy a $30,000 car, are you going to be paying $10,000 in taxes on a $30,000 car? Uh, you're going to look for ways to buy them off market. Yeah, you bring up a really good point. Uh, now, all tax systems have this problem of, of tax evasion. All tax systems have that problem. Uh, the income tax has its certain kinds of tax evasion problems, but the sales tax also has tax evasion problems. And so any tax system is going to 
drive some kind of economic activity sort of underground in order to avoid taxes. And just as an aside, and I would say kind of a comical aside, uh, this was one of the reasons that a few years ago, uh, Herman Cain, the um, right. the one-time Republican presidential candidate, had a had a tax reform proposal that he called the 999 proposal. And his idea was you'd have a 9% income tax, you'd have a 9% national sales tax, and then I think the third one was a 9% capital gains tax or a 9% tax on investment. And his reason for doing this was actually quite intelligent, and that is that no, there's going to be no way to avoid all three of these. So, like, if you are an investor and all of your income is in the form of capital gains and interest, you don't actually have any earned income, uh, you can skate right now the income tax, but you wouldn't be able to skate on Herbert Cain's system because you'd be paying both the national sales tax and you'd be paying the the tax on on uh, investment income and capital gains. So that's that was actually the the main design decision behind that plan. That plan got a lot of ridicule, but his idea was exactly what we're talking about right now, which is that all tax systems have a some form of tax evasion, and you can bet. That if there was if if you for instance again in Texas if you were actually paying a thirty eight or thirty nine percent sales tax on purchases, uh, we would suddenly see the return of barter. <laughs> we would suddenly see uh, lots garage of trans- sales? garage sales. Lots of transactions would be trying to avoid the cash register to avoid that high tax rate. But again. It's a psychological shift that you have to make. Okay, fine. So I'm paying a thirty plus percent sales tax every time I buy something. But on the other hand, you did away with my income tax. And so I'm no longer paying, you know, $28,000 a year in federal income tax either. Uh, but it's you, there's no way to do that as a perfect swap for this reason. Uh, we have a lot of people in America today who pay no federal income taxes. They, pay, they don't pay any. They pay payroll taxes. They pay Social Security, Medicare. But something around half of the population has no federal income tax liability because we have we have exempted uh, so many um, earner slots from the federal income tax. And not only that, but some people actually get money back from the tax system through things like the earned income tax credit. There are tax filers who actually get money back from taxes from the federal income tax system without paying anything in. So if, if you were to just simply swap from a national income tax to a national sales tax, you would suddenly be hammering low and middle income people who right now are not paying federal income taxes, but suddenly they'd be paying a 30 plus percent national sales tax on everything they buy. And so that's why the national sales tax proposal has this weird feature called a prebate. And the prebate is where literally at the beginning of the year, every taxpayer would get a check from the federal government. And it's been estimated that it would be somewhere around, say, nine or ten thousand dollars. And this is designed to address this regressivity problem that if you simply swapped the national income tax for national sales tax, suddenly low and middle income people would be paying a lot more taxes than they pay right now under the existing system. So the prebate is designed to sort of account for that. And as you described, most states, and Texas is one of them, you exempt a lot of the necessities of life, like groceries and things like that. You exempt it from sales taxes for this reason, to to try to address the regressivity of 
a consumption tax. And so the national sales tax has this weird prebate kind of a system where you'd be getting a check from the government that's designed to offset some of the national sales tax that you would be paying. So it's not only a, a tricky sort of a philosophical shift, but it's also it doesn't simplify to the degree that its proponents think that it will, because you're still going to have to have a federal re- revenue agency. You're still going to have an agency that's having to calculate and process these prebates, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it, it gives you some simplification over the existing income tax system. It does address the privacy problem with an income tax. Uh, it does address the regressivity issue but it doesn't simplify to the degree that its proponents would lead you to believe. So if the proponents were to make a couple of changes, it might be at least worthy of some discussion. And one of the things is they're so intent on getting all regular taxes out of your paycheck that they're even including Social Security and Medicare, the FICA taxes, their, their national sales tax would cover those. Now, if you if you left FICA taxes alone, because Social Security is such a huge amount of money coming in, Medicare is a large amount also, you might be able to lower that national sales tax significantly, and it might make it a little more reasonable if they were to do that. The other thing is, um, to your point about the prebate, uh, I, I was, back when we first started talking this about, about this back in the 90s, I was somewhat interested in it. But when I got to this point of the prebate, I thought this is this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. Why would you have this high tax rate, not just find some things to exempt and then put every household in the country on the federal dole by sending them a check every year? I mean, that just that makes zero sense to me at all. Yeah. And it it it. It comes with some moral hazard, probably also. Right. Because if everyone's getting a check from the government suddenly it would become very, very popular to continue to increase the amount of that prebate. And, you know, the reason we have the complications and all the problems in our current tax system is that it's it's been growing and changing and being modified constantly ever since it was first imposed. When the income tax was first imposed, it was pretty simple. <laughs> it was very simple. It only addressed – it only affected a small number of households. Um, most it, for most people, it wasn't even a factor in their life. But over time, its complexity grew. Uh, the breadth of the income tax grew. And so there's really nothing structurally that prevents the same kind of thing happening with a national sales tax. Uh, the, the rate could continue to go up. It is a very efficient tax to collect. And, and for, from the government standpoint, that's a good thing. As from a taxpayer standpoint, that might be a bad thing. Uh, because it's very simple to argue that we have to raise the rate. It would be very popular to argue that we have to increase the prebate. In fact, you'd probably see legislation on a regular basis where both things happen at the same time. Uh, we're going to have to raise the rate, but we're also going to increase the prebate. And it would just become really, really complex. So I think one of the points we want to make here is that it's not crazy for someone to actually argue in favor of the national sales tax. There are some some real design strengths to it, but there are also some real design weaknesses to it. In fact, we at the Institute for Policy Innovation were engaged uh, when back when the national sales tax was really first being discussed, 
And uh, we were actually engaged with some of the people who were designing it and, and proposing it, and we, and we pointed out some of the problems. One of the problems was this issue you just mentioned about does it also replace so does it also replace entitlements? Does it also replace Social Security and Medicare? And the proponents of it very much wanted it to do that because they really saw simplification as the main strength of the proposal. But then when you start trying to replace the entitlement system with the national sales tax, the problem is suddenly you 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 start increasing complexity in other areas. You may be simplifying the tax system, but you're increasing complexity in other areas. And then the thing that was always the most intriguing to me is that the original proponents of the plan had a very low rate. They had like a 15% rate or a 17% rate. And th- that was the first few iterations of the plan had a low rate. Now, that's appealing. If you're going to say we're going to replace the income tax with a 15% national sales tax, you know, that's a whole other ballgame. But it turns out that there was a major problem that they had failed to account for the fact that government purchases actually comprise a pretty big slice of the pie of overall consumption. And so the government is not going to pay itself a national sales tax. To do so actually would sort of be nonsensical. And so you're not, if you're having a flat rate national sales tax, you're not actually taxing all consumption in the economy. You're only taxing private consumption. And there was a time when government were small enough that that would not have been a big deal. But government is so big right now, and government purchases are such a significant slice of the economy that they had to literally double the rate of the of the initial national sales tax just because of the sheer size of government and government purchases. And see, I think that is one of the key issues here. The real killer of a national sales tax is the fact that the federal government spends so much money. If, if we had... Uh, responsible people in Congress who were dramatically cutting federal spending, then you might be able to talk about it. But I don't think we see any prospect of that anytime soon. And so as a result, the rate you're looking at is a very high rate and is one that's just uh, it, it just unworkable from the standpoint of people actually trying to adhere to it. And ultimately, I think the, the problem with the national sales tax is it's just almost politically inconceivable that it could ever actually be be put in place. It's such a such a big shift. It's a conceptual shift. It's an economic shift. It's a political shift. Um, it has it has merit as we've tried to as we've tried to point out in this conversation. It certainly has some design merit. And so, if you're a proponent of the national sales tax, or if you encounter a proponent of the national sales tax, it doesn't mean they're an idiot. Uh, it actually has some some real elegant design simplicity to it although not as simple as its proponents would like you to think. We are not defenders of the existing status quo federal income tax system. It's almost like we have the worst possible system today. And so one argument for the national sales tax has always been almost anything would be better than we have right now. The question is, how do you get there? And it just seems like the way our politics has worked, at least for the past several decades, the best you can hope for are in. In- incremental improvements. The best you can hope for are incremental changes. So the idea that we would do something so radical as swapping our existing tax code for something as different and as radical as the national sales tax is just politically untenable. It seems like for those of us who do believe in tax reform, for those of us who do believe in simplification, for those of us who do believe in financial privacy, uh, 
it makes more sense to sort of try to incrementally improve the system we have than to try to radically change it. So, Dr. Matthews, um, you know, we've sort of talked our way through the sort of the design and the theory and the philosophy of, of a national sales tax, and we've compared it to some other tax systems. Uh, but I, despite Speaker McCarthy's many commitments that allowed him to win the speakership by the skin of his teeth, um, it seems very unlikely to me that this the national sales tax would actually come to a floor vote. And I think it's unlikely for a couple of reasons. The first reason is this is just bad messaging for Republicans. <laughs> you are just playing into the hands of your political opponents when when you say, oh, and we're thinking about uh, slapping a 30% national sales tax on the American people. That's all people need to hear. They're not going to hang around for the part of the conversation where you say, oh, but we're going to do away with the existing income tax system, and we're also going to give you a prebate. Right. So I think, it, I think it's politically untenable for that reason. And then the other reason, um, I was doing an interview earlier this week with Congressman Jake Elzey from Texas, uh, and he was pointing out that the other and more major commitment that Speaker McCarthy has made is a commitment to regular order. And that means bills have to come out of committees, and they have to come out of subcommittees, and they have to come out of committees. And Representative Elzey was telling me, uh, this bill will never see the light of day. The national sales tax will never see the light of day because it will never make it out of committee. It, w- it would have to literally come out of the Ways and Means Committee with a majority vote, and that ain't happening. So I think to some degree, th- this tempest in a teapot over the national sales tax is, is something that has, well, you know, I've already used the metaphor tempest in a teapot, right? Uh-huh. It's something that flares up quickly, gets some attention, and then goes away. Well, we appreciate you joining us today for this nerdy discussion of uh, the national sales tax. Hopefully that has been of use and informational to you who are listening. We would invite you to check out our website at IPI.org, and you can sign up there if you'd like to receive notices of our new podcast episodes, new content, and upcoming events. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider giving us a favorable review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform. You can also help to sponsor these podcasts by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.